From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon. Hope you have had a fantastic day and a wonderful week. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council and your Friday host. Thank you so much for making Washington Watch part of your day today. All right, we've got a lot coming your way. Let me break down some of the highlights that we'll be covering. A U.S.-led coalition conducted airstrikes in Yemen last night against the Islamic Houthi militants in response to their months-long violent attacks on commercial shipping vessels. I think it's important to remember how we got here. 27 attacks against international commercial shipping and mariners since November 19th, multiple warnings to stop, and we said very loud and clear there would be consequences, and last night there were. Well, that was Pentagon spokesman Pat Ryder earlier today from CBS Mornings. The question is whether or not this is going to deter the Houthi backers in Iran. Is it too little or too late? What is the situation? I'll be discussing that with former Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis here in just a few moments. And Republican voters in Iowa will caucus on Monday to determine their choice to challenge President Biden this November. Of course, the Iowa caucuses represent the first of many very important elections that will be taking place this year. And FRC uh, Action's Matt Carpenter will be joining me later to break it all down and let us know where it all stands at this point. And we have some great news coming out of Alabama, where a federal appeals court has said yes, that the state can enforce its SAFE Act law to protect children from the sterilization and mutilization that some falsely call gender-affirming care. Well, I'll be talking later with Beth Gerritsen from Alabama's Eagle Forum, who was uh, closely tied to the bill's sponsors in trying to get it across the finish line. She'll be joining me a little bit later in the program. And some huge news now coming out of Texas. You probably have seen it by now, but Texas Governor Greg Abbott has taken action to secure the border in his state by defying the Biden administration by deploying the Texas National Guard to literally seize control of a crucial border crossing area in Eagle Pass, Texas. Texas has uh, the legal authority uh, to, to control ingress and egress into any geographic location in the state of Texas. Uh, and that authority is being asserted uh, with regard to that park in Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, to maintain operational control of it. A huge, bold step the governor has taken. Of course, that was Governor Abbott himself speaking with the press earlier today. I'll be talking about that with Texas State Senator Brian Hughes a little bit later in the program. So we've got a lot to cover. Of course, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can always go back and catch it at our website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, you'll find there are tons of resources and lots of archive programs that you can go back as well and check. So a lot there. Keep the website handy. TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's get into the program for today. Among the president's uh, first diplomatic efforts, if you will, when he took office back in 2021, was his deci decision to formally declassify Yemen's Houthi mili uh, militant group. Uh, they had been uh, referred to as a specially designated global terrorist group. And that was all declassified. Last night, the United States led a coalition of countries conducting airstrikes against these same militants in Yemen following literally months-long campaign of them attacking commercial ships in the Red Sea. Well, the Islamic Houthi militants received support from Iran. So what can we expect from this military escalation in the Middle East? Is that now going to happen? Join me now to discuss this and more is retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. He serves as a senior fellow for national defense here at the Family Research Council and is the author of the book, Divided We Stand, the Globalist Scheme for a One World Government. Lieutenant Colonel, great to uh, welcome you back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, Judy. 
Well, listen, uh, I don't know very many people who know much more of what's going on with all of this than you. Give me your reactions when you first heard about the airstrikes in Yemen. Yeah, this is a long time coming. Uh, they've been attacking us uh, arguably since the you know, October 7th attack on uh, Israel by Hamas. The Houthis have aligned themselves, of course, with sympathy for the Hamas uh effort, and of course, they're supplied and a proxy of the Iranian mullahs in Tehran. Uh, there have been at least 27 drone, missile, uh, boat attacks against commercial shipping in the Red Sea, which of course straddles the country of Yemen. And of course, the Houthis have uh, occupied the seat of power in that country for a number of years and have been fighting a civil war, uh, which is now at a pause uh, for the last year. So. You know, this is indicative, I think, of a, an expansion of the current war. We've seen Hamas, of course, uh, being defeated incrementally by the Israelis, but also Hezbollah has been very active, but not yet totally embracing a war against Israel in the north. We've seen at least 130 attacks against U.S. personnel in both Syria and Iraq. And, of course, the other day we saw uh, the Iranian Navy sees a Greek uh, oil tanker moving oil from Iraq to Turkey. So there's an escalation in the mix. My concern, Jody, is that the Biden administration really doesn't appear to have a strategy that is going to bring stability to that region. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and I think this is really what is creating so much concern for so many of us. I mean, the airstrikes last night, uh, I, you have said, and I've heard others say, is long overdue, but will it or will it not deter the real villain, which is Iran at this point? I mean, what's how, how does this all tie in, and will the airstrikes from last night do anything to stop Iran, or will it cause Iran to escalate uh, potential instability in the area? Yeah, Iran is willing to sacrifice every one of the Houthi terrorists, much like they have the Hamas terrorists uh, and any others that they you know, have as proxies around the region and the world. Now, know this will not deter them from moving forward. It will be a, a setback because we destroyed uh, launch pads in Yemen. We destroyed supplies. Uh, but Iran will do its best to sustain the effort and to intimidate uh, the shipping lanes. What you need to appreciate is it was back during the Trump administration when we uh, put a missile in the back seat of a cart that was occupied by Soleimani, the leader of the Quds Force, the IRGC, that is really the instrument that the Ayatollah in Tehran uses to manipulate uh, the proxies and to go after Western interests in the region. You know, then we, you know, subtly but very clearly said, what happened to Soleimani is going to happen to the Ayatollah if this nonsense doesn't stop. Well, it stopped. Um, Reagan did much the same thing during his time in office, and the Iranians, uh, you know, kind of backed down. Unfortunately, the Biden administration has sent a very different signal. They've made it very clear. They oppose uh, the stop of the you know, nuclear deal that Obama stopped, started, and Trump stopped, and so they reignited that. Uh, they have obviously uh, really benefited from the, the relief they got from sanctions and have just made them flush in money because they're now selling three to four million barrels of, of oil a day, mostly to the Chinese, which has enriched them enough to uh, extend their adventures, um, not only with the Houthis and the Hamas, but with Hezbollah, and arguably all over the rest of the world in various pockets. So uh, this has been a failed strategy. Uh, you mentioned earlier that they removed the Houthis in 2021 uh, from the terrorist list that the State Department maintains. You know, the Biden administration hasn't got anything here right. And unfortunately, it's, I think it's going to get worse. Wow. Well, that's really frightening. You, you mentioned that there's been at least 27 attacks since in the, over the last few months 
since October 7th there in the Red Sea. Uh, this is an area where about 12% of global trade passes through the Red Sea. Uh, and, of course, this has been massively disrupted by, by these attacks. So do we gauge the success of the airstrikes last night by the amount of attacks that continue and stopping the commercial trade? How do we determine success or not? Yeah, there has been a subsequent attack by the Houthis on commercial shipping. Um, I would say success is measured uh, economically. And when the in the transshipment companies from all over the world start to use the Red Sea routinely and don't divert their uh, oil tankers and their transportation around the Horn of Africa, then we know that things have returned to you know, you know some sort of normality. Otherwise, they're not going to take the risk. And obviously, we, uh, the coalition that have been in the Red Sea, have not provided sufficient deterrence. And so there's going to be a pause for a while, uh, and we'll have to wait and see if the Houthis can continue to threaten that maritime area. And if they do, uh, then we'll have to take more action. But I don't think the Houthis is the answer. Uh, we're going to have to take some sort of direct action against uh, the Iranians, and arguably, certainly putting sanctions back on their oil shipments, which, of course, will not please the Chinese. Uh, but that's something that's necessary, and we could become far more aggressive, as was uh, President Trump. Yeah, I uh, agree with you. I think ultimately Iran gets majorly involved in all of this. And this brings me probably to my last question just because of time. But uh, there, there are some out there who are saying that the airstrikes literally played into the hand of the Houthis because they want to escalate conflict in the in the area. Uh, your thoughts on that? W would you say yay or nay? Yeah, well, they've been involved in the civil war with the Saudis and other countries for the last uh, 15 years. You know, it's been a somewhat you know, depressed here in the recent past. But I, I think if, you know, the Iranians can figure out how to sustain the fight with the Houthis, they will do just that. But I do believe they'll become more directly involved. And then we'll have to make the decision whether or not we want to go actually uh, fist, you know, fist to fist and head to head with the Iranians in the Persian Gulf and elsewhere. So about 30 seconds remain. What should the administration do going forward, in your opinion? Well, they should announce a, a, a meaningful strategy that puts pressure on Iran. And, of course, it's those that are buying oil like the Chinese. If we don't put pressure on Tehran, this will continue because they want to be the hegemon in the region. And at this point, they have the upper hand. Wow. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us on Washington Watch and give us an update of what's happening Big developments. We're going to be keeping a pulse on it and look forward to having you back. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jody. Have a great day. You too. All right, friends, stay tuned. We've got much, much more coming your way. In fact, coming up right after the break, the Iowa caucuses, you probably are aware, they're going to be taking place on Monday. This is the first event in no doubt is going to be an extremely busy year as it relates to election. Well, FRC's Matt Carpenter is going to be joining me right after the break to break it all down. So stay tuned. We'll be right back in a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific 
specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us on this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your Friday host, Jody Heiss, Senior Vice President here at FRC. All right, the race for the White House officially begins next week, and it has always started probably for close to 50 years now in Iowa uh, with the Iowa Presidential Caucuses. Uh, in fact, I will say this, it's going to be kind of interesting. It could be a difficult weekend as weather forecasters are uh, literally threatening and potentially life-threatening blizzard conditioning conditions over the weekend there. So we'll obviously be keep, keeping a lookout on that. But while we're watching the weather, obviously the races and the developments uh, in these caucuses are majorly on all of our radars. And here to talk about it is Matt Carpenter. He's the director of FRC Action. Matt, thanks so much for joining me today. Good to have you. Great to be here, Jody. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with the big picture, shall we say, Uh, that being 2024 elections as a whole, kind of um, 30,000-foot view. How's it look? So of the two major political parties, uh, the Republicans have a much more dynamic primary at the moment. Now, former President Donald Trump uh, in most of the polling has about a 30 to 40 uh, point lead in most of the states. In fact, in the real clear politics polling average, his, uh, his lead as of the average of polls that have been done on the Republican field has him almost at 50 percent. So he's been He's been leading the way here. For him, it's mostly a, a, about meeting expectations uh, going into Iowa. If he falls short of that number, then a lot of the other campaigns can say, hey, he's not as strong as we thought he was, and they've got some momentum going into New Hampshire. Uh, we, d- we recently had uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie drop out, and he had a relatively small uh, share of the Republican electorate. The polling was telling us, and so it remains to be seen. Is that faction going to mo- now move towards uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis or former U.N. Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley. And now, uh, you know, it's time It's time to stop the campaigning and time to start filling those gymnasiums in Iowa. Uh, 99 counties, as you pointed out in your intro, Jody, 
they're looking for some pretty severe weather. So uh, the, this caucus is really a time for um, for the campaigns to to show the fanaticism, frankly, of, of their supporters. Who's going to get in there and and uh, and work this caucus um, the longest and make the best case for their candidate? Uh, and who's going to get? Who's going to put on the snowshoes? Who's going to put on those cross-country skis and fire up the snowmobile uh, and get the, get some hot cocoa uh, in Iowa uh, for their candidate? So um, that's on the Republican side. The Democratic side is much more static. Frankly, the Democrats have reworked their primary calendar to advantage President Biden. They've moved South Carolina and some of the other states that he did very well in when he ran last time to the front of their calendar, uh, and they've moved some of the states that he struggled in later in their calendar. And they've actually have kind of put their thumbs on the scale and ran a candidate like a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. out of the Democratic primary. They've made it very difficult for some of the other lesser-known challengers to get some momentum. I, I more view Biden's uh, struggles at this point of just maintaining his coalition for the general election. That seems to be the story on the Democratic side. Yeah, it really does. So, uh, so good good description of what's happening in the presidential election and all that's going to get kicked into high gear next week how about when it comes to congress uh, again 30,000 foot view like uh, i mean we look at both the house and the senate exceedingly thin majorities uh, be it in the house or the senate uh, what's the the bird's eye view as to what to expect on those races most of the election forecasters, Jody, I'm looking at are, are they're they're looking at the the Senate map really as the as the one that's that's going to that's maybe going to flip. You've got 30, 33 uh, senators up for re-election in 2024, 23 of whom are currently held by Democrats, only 10 of which are held by Republicans. So as far as the Senate environment, it's very favorable for the Republican Party at the moment, especially with. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin stepping down. A lot of folks are saying that's looking like a pretty solid Republican pickup there. That would already put them at that 50-seat threshold, provided they win all the, all the elections they're supposed to win. Now, I'm also looking at places like Arizona and Montana and Michigan and Nevada and uh, Ohio as well. Uh, and even Wisconsin, too, are, are kind of listed as some of these Senate races that are going to pick up some significant investment uh, on the campaign side. They're going to draw credible challengers to incumbents. If there's an open seat, you're going to have credible primary challengers. It's going to be um, it's going to be something to watch on the Senate side. Now, for the House, as you pointed out, we've got some very tight margins we're working with, and, and it's I think it's if we're not at a record tightness in the House right now, we're, we're probably going to be there soon. But um, there's probably about 20 or 30, depending on who you're listening to, races on the House side that are going to be, a, they're basically a, a toss-up at this point. It's going to be about uh, who, can, who, who can get the best candidate in the race, who can raise the most amount of money, who can persuade swing voters. Um, it's, things are heating up. It's only January, Jody. Yeah, it's, and you're right. It's only January, but it's like this is already, at my best count, uh, Matt, as I look at this in the House, of course, where I just uh, came from, uh, but we already had like you know, only a four-person majority, and now we have the absence of Kevin McCarthy, uh, George Santos is gone, Bill Johnson is gone. My best count, we're down to about a one majority. I, that's never been here. So these races, uh, when you talk about 20 counties or, or 20 races or so, uh, incredibly important. All right, what kind of resources do we have available to help people as they're trying to sort through all this? Uh, what do we have that can help people? Yeah, I would encourage our audience to check out frcaction.org. We've got a voter resources page where we've got our voter guides available. In fact, our, uh, our the presidential primary voter guide is up there. Your, your, our, your audience can check that out and they can see where the candidates uh, running for president stand uh, on the issues that, um, that we care about. We've also got um, materials on how to register voters. We've got materials comparing the party, the major parties' political uh, platforms. So that's a hugely important one as well. And um, we've got scorecards for current members uh, and much more. All right. So, what would you encourage our audience, uh, listeners, and viewers to do as we head into this primary season? Jody, I think we need to be reminding ourselves that uh, ultimately our hope doesn't rest in the politician or the outcome of an election. Um, it's in what God has for us, our identity in Christ. Um, but we do need to be involved in these elections. It's important that, that we hold members to account who've harmed faith, family, and freedom, and that we support candidates who are going to make improvements um, on those fronts um, for the gospel. 
Matt Carpenter, always great to see you. We appreciate all the work you did at FRC Action and for coming down and breaking this down for us today. We appreciate it a great deal. All right, friends, coming up, we've got some great news coming out of Alabama uh, regarding the protection of children from gender procedures. We'll be talking about that after the break. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. It's always great to have you joining us on this Friday edition. I'm Jody Heiss. Welcome aboard. All right, the momentum to protect children from permanent uh, gender procedures uh, continues at the state level, literally in places all across the country. And yesterday, the U.S. 11th Circuit Court of Appeals lifted a lower court injunction against the Vulnerable Child Compassion and Protection Act which was a 2022 Alabama law designed to protect children from these procedures, uh, which include sterilization, mutilization, and such. And once the law goes into effect, physicians there in the state of Alabama violating uh, the provisions here literally are going to be guilty of committing a felony that could lead to and include prison time. And you know, I just think all of this demonstrates the resolve of Alabama lawmakers and that they have for protecting children. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Becky Gerritsen. She's the Alabama Eagle Forum Executive Director and worked closely with her state lawmakers crafting this bill. So, Becky, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me on, and Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you as well, and the news coming out yesterday makes it even happier. I want to say congratulations to you on this incredible news. I knew that you uh, and others at Eagle Forum and others uh, beyond, a lot of folks got involved, but y'all were leading the way in uh, taking a crucial role in getting this bill across the finish line. Uh, Give me your reaction to the news from yesterday. This is great news. Gender-affirming care, and I say that with quotes, has been leading healthy children into a world of misery. Um, health, you know, healthy bodies being harmed, being sterilized. And I'm just so glad that this law is actually going to go into effect. And it's been a long, hard road. There still will be a trial uh, later on this year, but this is very good news. And well, talk to us about this. Where Where is this going to go from here? Obviously, this is an enormous step in the right direction. And we all here at FRC and 
millions across the country are celebrating this news. But where is it going to go from here? What's next? Well, so now the law will go into effect and there will be the medical protocols that will be able to slowly wean these children off of any medications that they have been on, which is a, which is great news because, for example, Lupron, which is one of the drugs they use to suppress this puberty, has very terrible consequences. And, and those are known facts about that. So we will be able to start seeing these bodies um, hopefully maintain their fertility. Girls will not be losing their voices. They won't be sub subjugated to a lifetime of dependency on prescription drugs. So this is all moving in the right direction. However, in later in the fall, we are expecting a full trial over this law. So that will be the final announcement whether this law will stand or not. But for now, it is in practice and we're going forward. Well, that, no. that's incredible. So it's going to be coming back in the fall. All right. You mentioned some of the, the, the drugs, one drug in particular. I, I actually saw uh, earlier that the, the injunction that came against this law, uh, among other things, it claimed that Alabama had not produced sufficient evidence to show that some of these uh, transitioning medications are experimental. Uh, but you look at what European countries and others are doing just running away from all of this because of the harm that it does to these children and the harm from the medications. What what did these people miss when they're saying that there's not evidence showing that these are experimental drugs? Well, Lupron is one of the drugs that they do use. And let me just read a couple of these side effects. This, these are known FDA reported side effects. And, and these are being used off-label. These are for children who don't have puberty problems. They are normal, healthy children. Um, but when these drugs are used, we know that this happens with Lupron. Um, permanent sterility and voice changes, loss of facial hair, uh, growth of, oh, I'm sorry, that was the wrong drug. Those are for cross-sex hormones. For Lupron, halting social, sexual, emotional, and intellectual development, arresting bone growth, um, decreased bone uh, thickness, prevention of brain maturation, and causing immature growth of sexual organs and infertility. We know these are a problem. We know these are a side effect. It's good that we are stopping these. And then the same kind of side effects happen with the sex, uh, cross-sex hormones, but also strokes, liver disease, blood clots, diabetes, migraines, heart disease, all of these things um, happen to these can happen to these children. And so we are just thrilled that we're putting a halt to this and hoping that as we are seeing more and more detransitioners across the country and across the world, just totally in remorse of what they have done to their bodies and trying to stop others from going into this, we're hoping that the tide socially will begin to turn and that people will realize they need to focus on the mental health compassionate talk therapy to get to the bottom root of why they hate their bodies and find out if there are any other medical conditions like autism or compulsive obsessive disorders. There are other things that can push children into, you know, gender dysphoria and can compound the issue. So it's time to step back from medical high risk interventions and do the talk therapy and help these children. One other thing I wanted to mention there is not one long-term comprehensive study that shows that these interventions help the mental health of these children. So this is all great news. It is great news, and it's great news that this is spreading in other states. Ohio, I'm sure you're watching that as we are. Becky Garrison, Alabama Eagle Forum Executive Director, thank you so much for your incredible work on this, and thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, we've got some amazing news coming out of Texas. The National Guard on the border. We'll cover all of this and more right after the break, so stay tuned. Much more coming your way in just a moment.
Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash prolifemen to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you with us on this Friday afternoon. I'm Jody Heiss, and uh, we welcome you aboard. All right, we've been inviting you to uh, participate in uh, polls and uh, questionnaires to determine if you are a SAGECON. That is a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative. And we are participating in different polls, questions that we're Uh, trying to put your way that helps us as we're going through all of this. The question for this week was on the topic of immigration, and it was, what does the Bible say is the overriding concern of civil government on this matter? Well, interestingly, 60% of you said that the Bible's primary concern about immigration is to protect It was emphasizing with the plight of the immigrant of the migrants, and 39% believe that it was a combination of both of those. So uh, we appreciate your responses to all of this a great deal. It's extremely helpful to us all along the way, and we appreciate very much your participation. We'll be talking more about all the uh, uh, immigration issues, the border issues next week. I want to go right now, as we've been talking, and we're, we're waiting on uh, Senator uh, from Texas to join us, but our, we, I've got another guest that I want to bring your way that relates into what's happening in Texas and how Governor Abbott is working to protect his citizens from terrorism coming across the border. Well, speaking of terrorism, 
we end our we we got some disturbing news coming out of the Biden administration, where they this administration is working directly with the Southern Poverty Law Center to not only silence political opponents, but literally to classify many people just like you and me as being domestic terrorists. Now, this is the same SPLC that inspired another domestic terrorist, Floyd Corkins, to attempt a mass shooting at the Family Research Council's office in Washington, D.C. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Tyler O'Neill, who's the first to report on this story. He's the managing editor of the Daily Signal and the author of the book, Making Hate Pay, The Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, welcome back to Washington Watch. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Jody. Glad to be here. All right. So explain to us what's going on uh, between these federal agencies and the SPLC uh, and what you've learned about all of this. Yeah. So what we know is that SPLC President Margaret Wang went on a donor meeting and bragged that the Biden administration, apparently out of the blue, just came to the SPLC asking for advice on their strategy to combat what she called the domestic terror threat. Now, the Biden administration did release a domestic terror agenda. It was very brief and didn't actually describe uh, specifically what the administration is doing and never made any mention publicly of the involvement of the Southern Poverty Law Center. I wonder why. Uh, but it's interesting because when I saw this video and, you know, the SPLC has done a lot of work with the Biden administration. The Biden administration, uh, the SPLC has been at the White House 11 times with their leaders and staff, many meetings with President Biden directly himself, even though they classify conservative and Christian organizations, mainstream groups, you know, as you mentioned, like the Family Research Council, as hate groups on par with the KKK. Um, so apparently that doesn't phase Biden at all. In fact, it seems like something he's going for because he nominated uh, Nancy Abudu, an SPLC attorney, to a top federal judgeship. Um, so the ties make this very plausible that the Biden administration reached out to the SPLC on domestic terrorism. Now, the SPLC does monitor a few uh, legitimately, you know, legitimately worrisome organizations. But the fact that they put organizations like the Family Research Council, like Alliance Defending Freedom, on the hate map with the KKK, and the fact that they've kept them there after the FRC terrorist attack, um, it's just, you know, it's horrifying. It should terrify Americans that the Biden administration would consider this organization to have any credibility on domestic terrorism whatsoever. Yeah, so we have very likely terrorists, literally, coming across our southern border, and nothing is being done really to stop it, nothing of any significance from this administration. On the other hand, we have this administration cooperating with the SPLC to identify law-abiding citizens uh, as domestic terrorists because they do not agree with the radical left-wing agenda of this administration. Is that a fair portrayal? Yes, it's very fair. In fact, it's even worse than that because many of the organizations that are rightly raising the alarm about the tragedies at our southern border, about the fact that people on the terrorist watch list have been able to cross our southern border into the United States. Uh, many organizations are actually on the SPLC hate map. Uh, organizations like the Center for, Ameri uh, Center for Immigration Studies and the Federation for American Immigration Reform are on the map that has inspired terrorism. And the SPLC is going to charitable organizations trying to get them to uh, blacklist these organizations and trying to silence critics of the Biden administration's open borders policy. And so not only do we have threats to Americans increasing from our open southern border, but we also have the people who are rightly raising the alarm about it being silenced 
by potentially directly by the Biden administration that seems to be relying on the SDLC. Absolutely unbelievable that, that we are going through all of this. And by the way, I wish we had time to get into this more. In fact, take 30 seconds. The, the SBLC has problem itself with domestic terrorism. Uh, it's a little ironic that they're accusing others of the very thing that they themselves have some guilt on their hands, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's, it's interesting. One of the another SPLC attorney, you know, not the one that Biden nominated to federal judgeship, but another one was actually arrested on charges of domestic terrorism last last March because he was involved in a, a riot where using Molotov cocktails. Um, so this is and, and the SPLC has for years uh, carried water for the violent Antifa radical group that, you know, inspired all of those riots in 2020, the most destructive riots in U.S. history uh, when it comes to specific damage. So this is, you know, this organization is turning the uh, is turning a blind eye to violence. It also has its attorneys uh, charged with domestic terrorism. And yet the Biden administration is more than happy to work with them on these issues. Unbelievable. Tyler O'Neill, managing editor uh, for the, uh, the Daily Signal. Thank you so much for joining us today on Washington Watch. Great information. All right, friends, let's go back to our discussion on what's happening in Texas, where the National Guard there has blocked the U.S. Border Patrol from entering Shelby Park in the city of Eagle Pass, Texas, as part of an emergency declaration by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And uh, no question, this action is intensifying uh, the tensions, obviously, between the Texas governor and the Biden administration. But the U.S. Border Patrol Union literally issued a statement today supporting the governor. Well, joining me now to discuss this is state senator from Texas, Brian Hughes. He represents the first Senate district of Texas. Senator Hughes, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Congressman, thank you for having me. This is an important topic. I'm honored to be here to talk about it. It's an extremely important topic. Uh, you know the situation much better than we do there in the state of Texas. Uh, you've, you've seen the results, the consequences of the Biden administration's border, border policies. Uh, give me your initial thoughts on yesterday's decision by your governor. The governor's taking bold steps. As you know, Congressman, we are the rule of law people. We follow the law. We follow the Constitution. And the feds have a role. And the states have a role. In this situation, where this administration refuses to enforce the law, Texas has had no choice but to be very creative in how we secure this national border. It's, it's remarkable. So we're tired of, of taking people into custody handing them over to the feds only for catch and release. And I'm glad you mentioned, mentioned the Border Patrol officers, the line officers. They're patriots. They want to defend this country. They have bosses in D.C. that are unfortunately calling the shots. That's why we saw a few Border Patrol agents that were going through and cutting the wire that Texas had put in to protect the border. This is another example of that. And so, yes, we instead of taking people into custody, turning them over to the feds to be released, now, in this park, one of many places, we'll take people into custody for criminal trespass, and they'll be held accountable in Texas courts. They won't be turned over to the feds to then be released. This is part of what we're doing. You know, we've spent over $11 billion, $11 billion in Texas tax dollars just since Biden took office. We're building our own border wall, uh, National Guard, our state highway patrol, game wardens, local law enforcement. Uh, you know about the buoys in the middle of the river, about the wire, about the boats, about the airplanes, about the cameras, the balloons. We are doing everything we can do to defend the U.S. southern border. Well, that's amazing. And uh, that's, frankly, information a lot of people, I'm sure many who are watching and listening right now, were not aware of. Uh, your reaction to this was exactly what mine was. When I first I got up and started reading this this morning, my first word was, that is a bold and courageous move by Governor a uh, Abbott. Were you surprised at all by the reaction of the Border uh, Patrol, their operators, how they were actually supporting and praising the governor for this decision? 
wasn't that encouraging. I've been to the border a number of times, met a number of officers, and of course, many come uh, to the Capitol and, and, and meet with us. And uh, it just reaffirmed what we knew, uh, how rock solid those, uh, those men and women are who are serving us down there. They're in a terrible spot. They have a duty uh, to, to follow their commanding officers, certainly to an extent. And so we're thankful for those guys uh, standing with us. Yeah, I am too. And I've, like you, I've been there over and over and over to all nine sectors across the southern border. And the, the weight, the responsibility, the overwhelming task before our border agents is just remarkable to me. I could only imagine that they were relieved to see some help and to see the uh, Texas National Guard uh, come up and to help them do their job, the very job that this administration has been preventing them from doing. All right, so speaking of this administration, the Justice Department today filed with the Supreme Court to stop what Texas is doing. They did that this morning in response to uh, your governor's actions. Uh, and the White House literally accused Governor Abbott of politicizing the border. Stunning. Uh, what, what do you say about that? Congressman, it's so frustrating. The crisis is so bad now that even elected Democrat politicians from around the country are calling it a crisis or acknowledging what it is. Because in Chicago, in New York, now that they have several thousand immigrants to deal with, illegal immigrants, they say, oh, our, we're stretched to the limit. We don't have the resources. We'll try dealing with millions of these folks. And again, uh, we don't hate these people. We, we're not, we want to be humane. We also have to have borders to define and protect our country. Uh, as we were talking a moment ago about terrorists coming across, about fentanyl coming across. You know this deadly fentanyl. Enough doses in the last few years to kill every American and then half again that many. That's just what we've intercepted at the border. Who knows what's getting through? So it's such a crisis. And for this administration to accuse us of politicizing it is really remarkable. But, you know, uh, we're not going to be distracted by that. We're going to follow the law and we're going to do uh, what we're in a position to do. We're thankful for a strong Texas economy and for good patriotic Texans who are willing to spend this kind of money. Again, billions of dollars, not federal money. I'm talking about Texas taxpayers bearing this burden for the whole country. We're not complaining. And we hope with a new administration soon, uh, when we send them a bill, we'll get some of our money back. But either way, we're going to defend that border with everything we have. And the entire country thanks you for that. Uh, there, there's so much here. Senator, I think we're, we're going to probably run out of time, but I'd love to have you back to discuss this more. But uh, you, you've got the busing, as you referenced, going to different cities. They're screaming out against this administration. You have state rights issues, which Texas is now exercising to defend itself. Uh, where do you think all this is going to go? Uh, is the busing going to continue? Is Texas committed to keep defending the state rights? Where on both sides, real quickly, where do you think this is headed? You're so right. That busing continues. And one thing I'll mention, we're on our way back to the Supreme Court because Texas, we just passed a law in our last session that gives us authority not only to prosecute for criminal trespass, but now for the first time is a Texas offense. When this law takes effect, it's a Texas offense to cross illegally. So now under this new law, when we see someone cross illegally, Texas law enforcement takes them into custody, gets their information, figures out who they are, takes them in front of a judge. A judge orders them to return to Mexico. They're taken back to the border. Senator, we got, we've only got they're about, back in custody. We've got about so 15 back, seconds. We're back in front of the Supreme Court to test just how far the states can go. We're going to keep pushing and keep pushing. Texas State Senator Brian Hughes, thank you so much for coming on Washington Watch with us. And uh, Lone Star State uh, leading the way again. Thank you for doing so. God bless you and the great state of Texas. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. And this week, Washington Watch, have a fantastic weekend. Keep the torch ablaze. God bless you. We'll see you next week right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. 
For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 